Welcome back to another episode of Nerds and Rounds, guys. It's your host, Sebastian. It's your boy, Law. And your boy, Tone, from across the hall. And tonight, we have a creative series episode where we're real happy to feature Enrique Lopez. Enrique, how are you, brother? Good evening, guys. How y'all doing today? We are good. good. Hanging in there. Thanks for, thanks for joining us today. For those that don't know, Enrique is an awesome inker, but he is also an artist, writer, and just... I'm going to be real overall swell guy. Actually, you were one of my favorite neighbors at uh, East Coast Comic Con when we did that. Well, to be honest, I was on, you only had me because the other was the, the middle of the road. So it's like, <laughs> really, you either liked me or not. So I'll, I'll, but I'll thank you. Thank you. No, you were a lot of fun, too. And it was like a, I, I got all the spillover from people going over to your table. Like, hey, you know, he's, he's busy now. Come on over here. <laughs> there you go. So what have you been up to, brother? How have you been? Uh, surviving this weirdness, a lot of the weirdness has been going on, um, but overall, healthy, great, and, and thankfully uh, busy. Thankfully busy. Um, this year was supposed to be my big breakout year. I was supposed to be all over the states. I was going to go as far into the Midwest as possible, but by not doing that, it gave me opportunities to explore more story writing, which mostly I've been known, like you said, you have been doing inking. Uh, for the last two years, almost three, and but I always wanted to be writing. And by having this time off, I was able to sit down and produce two stories that I uh, illustrated and wrote. And now I'm writing four story, three stories for another anthology coming up. And so it's like I'm finally getting opportunities to do that. So I'm really happy with that. So it's like uh, I'm taking it as a positive that hey, it was not the, what I wanted, but it's turning out a lot better than I thought. So hopefully yes. a lot more things in the future. So we'll see. But you've yeah. been busy. You've, you've definitely been busy. I mean, you've um, been working in the comic books field and what inspired you to get into comics particularly? I, well, I started, you know, uh, though my useful features may fool you. Um, <laughs> the, I am, I am 55 and I started doing this way back in the seventies and inspired by Gil Kane and John Buscema, um, all these great artists from Conan and stuff that I wanted to draw that way and also write because I was inspired by H.G. Uh, Wells, Edgar Allan Poe, uh, Stephen King. So I was trying to combine both things. Um, of course, when the time came for me to choose a career in college, my parents said there's no way I was going to do drawing. There was no way, you know, being son of Cubans, they're like, no, 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 mijito, no. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they gave you the, the talk. You, you need to make money. You need to make money. So it's like, be a businessman. So I went to, so I actually went to college as an, as an accountant and I snuck into classes like for video production and all that kind of stuff. Once I decided accounting was not where I really wanted to be, it was supposed to be in marketing. So I thought, you know what? I can do marketing and there is advertising and in advertising, you actually have to do some art. So I go, let me go that way. And so I, unbeknownst to my parents, I took all these video courses and stage crew and uh, I acted in plays and took a script writing, public speaking, all because I knew that I wanted to get into advertising and do art in one day. So I did that and I kept producing stories and stuff all the time. And I did a pitch to Marvel and DC before they even did any of the amalgams. I did the, uh, the stories of uh, a Punisher and a, and Batman, we a friend of one of the artists of my one of my agencies. We actually drew it together. We sent it in. Now, 
Um, I kept at it until 93 when I did a meeting in New York. I met with the people at Dark Horse who pitched them uh, my story of a space uh, space saga that I had. And I, de- and I still have that, p- that pitch. I still have it here in my, in my office. It's, it has every, the first three years of plots figured out with 100 issues set up, which were the animal stories, which were we going, and everything that was going to happen in the storyline all the way till the day was going to be canceled. No. So I said, at that point, I said, look, man, I can't do much more. You know, I mean, how much more can I just hand it to these people? Now, you got to understand, people were saying, like, why don't you just do it yourself? Back then, we didn't have Kickstarter, Indiegogo. We didn't have all this independent stuff. There was no image. There was none of that stuff. There was just either Marvel or DC, maybe some continuity, maybe some first comics over there, Eclipse over here once in a while, but that's about it. So really, if you if I didn't feel I could make it even through Dark Horse, I said, it's done. You know, I can't go. So I just decided to focus on my artwork in, inside the uh, the advertising field. We won various awards. I got awards for doing ad commercials and, and different public print uh, stuff. But eventually I just got out of that and became more on an executive side. So I had to create a director and working with the, the accounts. And then from then I put it on the back burner until like three years, four years ago that my youngest daughter decided that she liked to draw and she wanted to explore drawing more. Uh, she had been, we had taken her to New York and moved. She learned how to sew. And, but, but the thing is that when she was doing all this cosplay work, she actually had to sketch the drawing out of the costume. So she actually started to enjoy doing that even more. And to nurture that, I said, well, look, I'm going to start taking you to show. So I took her to her first Comic-Con and she was blown away. She said, oh, I got to start doing this more often. <laughs> and and I said, bug, that's, man. that's how it goes, the bug. <laughs> and that and, I, and then, I, then the Cuban part of me came out and said, pero mi hijita. It's <laughs> not going to make you any money. So let me show you how it is. So let's start going to cons. And I said, I'll go with you because you can't do them alone. And uh, she was 15 and said, just explore and see how it goes. And I'll just hang out with you at the table. But it ended up being that I started bumping into Larry Stroman, Keith Williams, Billy Tucci, Mark McKenna. Um, who else did I bump into? Uh, Jay Lipson. They were saying, why aren't you on the table here? You're like, you know, I haven't done this for years, man. You know, you, know, you guys have been going around this for years doing it forever. I, I haven't done it. You know, like, well, you should be here. And that's when I started getting back into it. And little by little, Paul Abrams gave me a lot of little sketches for me to work. And from then on, it's just been like for the last two, three years, it's just been trying to bumping heads, try to get opportunities here and there. And now I'm, this is where I am. I two published works in one year. I got another one coming out next year and maybe like three or four more. So, so a little dedication worked out. You know, I, it, like I told my mom after all these years, you say, you know, you never wanted me to do this. Took me 35 years when I'm finally published. So, so it's never too late. Nope. Yeah, I know. Now, now my dad is like the ultimate fan, man. It's like <laughs> once I tell him, like before he was like, no, no, I'm not. Now I tell now every time he sees him on the show and doing a show, he's like he sits down and watches it, you know. So whenever this was, whenever this one comes out, I'm gonna say to mom, you know, you want like about an hour a piece, put him to watch this with me. Yeah, he'll, <laughs> <laughs> he'll watch the show for a while. You'll have nice and you'll be entertained with me. So. But it's fun because now he always asking me, well, you haven't, haven't done me a painting lately. I'm like, really? You know, I'm like, 
Let's get one. into those published works you talked about, which is horrendous and stupendous. All right. That just recently came out. Stupendous came out this year as well. How was it? How did it feel to get to work on those books? Plus, also too, I was looking at the credits. You come in as an inker, but you came in also too as an illustrator on this. How did also did it feel to have Keith Williams actually ink your work? Well, that was an interesting story there because I had to bribe him. You know, I knew some history of his. <laughs> if you don't want me to tell people about this, you know, you got to ink it for me. Go like, okay, okay, I'll do it for you, man. But uh, I, honestly, Keith and I have developed this really nice relationship, a friendship, um, because when I started Instagram and I was like struggling, I was not getting anybody to follow me and stuff. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? Beyond the point that I wasn't doing the, the tags correctly and stuff, Keith was actually one of the first professionals to follow me and I was like why <laughs> it's like, and I remember I went up to him in New York and I said dude you know I thank you for following me why are you following me and and I'll never forget those words he told me he says I always like to follow those who have potential and and that for me gave me a lot of impetus to keep working at it and and since then and you should Sebastian should know this he and I are almost at every show we do together we're next to each other it is funny yep. everybody knows that you know, and it's like every time I do a show, he's not there. Where's Keith? Hey, man, I'm not a keeper, man. You know, he didn't want to do this one, you know. Or the other day, he happened to him. Well, he was on another show. He's like, where's Keith? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, anyway, we're doing a show now on December 6th over in um, on the top of New York. And guess what? We're next to each other. <laughs> I'm not going to be surprised. But, about but that. I have my other buddies here. Triple Threat Comics going to be on my right, on my left. Oh, nice. Yeah, Ian and Eric over there, which I can talk about. Eric actually helped me in here in this one. Yeah, so Eric came in here in a pitch because originally, let me go back to the original question. What was it felt like to get involved with this stuff? Well, look, um, last year, Horrendous Number 1 came out, and I heard about it way late, way late, so late that they were already committed. It was on the presses. presses. Almost on the presses, yeah. And... And I was bummed out. So John Mahler, who was in charge of these things, he created these ideas. He told me, I'll put you on the list for the next one. So when he contacts me for this one, uh, since I knew of his history of doing science fiction, I thought, this has got to be a sci-fi one. This is going to be a sci-fi. So he goes, hey, we got the next one's coming up. Great. What do I, I got a great story. Yeah, it's about superheroes. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I was like bummed out. And I'm like, all right, man, I don't want to do superheroes. I, for me, superheroes are kind of fun okay. But to be honest, they're very, very, I, I find that they don't really give me a lot of things because it's, superpowers resolves everything. I want things to be done through mental problems, figuring things out, more emotional. And so I wasn't too keen on doing the story. So I decided for Stupendous, I was going to forego the superhero story. Yeah. And I was going to write a story with a superhero in it. But I already told John it's not going to be a superhero. It's, it's when I told him. I pitched it to him saying that one a superhero story, not a superhero story. And with that, he said, okay, whatever you want. And it was really, really dark. Um, and dark to the point that my, my wife hated the ending. My daughter hated the ending. And I said, good, good. You hate it. That means it's working. Um, you, and it was an emotional story for me. But then what happened was when I was, we were getting ready to get everything together, the pandemic happened. When that happened, then this book was originally going to be part of the free comic book day celebration in May. Yeah, I remember. I canceled, obviously. 
uh, and we were getting ready all our stuff. And then, not that it was going to be a free book, but but it was going to be using that day to launch it. So we were going to do a signing in, in near Pennsylvania, and but then all that got canceled. And I'm and then John comes up to me saying, Enrique, you know that story of yours. Is there any way you can make it lighter? I think no, no, I can't do that. This doesn't work. He says, because I really don't want the book to have that much of a downer because of all the situation going on. Could it, I mean, we'll publish it if that's it. But I said, look, if you give me two months, I'll do a new story. And he says, okay, all right, you got it. He goes, we're not ready for it anyway. Boom, go for it. I couldn't think of anything. And I was thinking, what can I do to bring in this original story? So I decided that the story in Stupendous Now is actually the beginning of where the original story now is the ending. This year has been a lot about adapting. I mean, me, yeah. Lord, Tony, we had to adapt to the Zoom calls because we used to do the show in person, which was fun. So we adapted to this. And then me, Lawrence, and Eric from Embion and Tone we all got together and we had to adapt the convention to a virtual space. So it's all been about adapting right now, um, this whole year. Um, and, you know, and I see that again, you guys got together, you did some work and then you guys now dropped horrendous. Right. So horrendous is obviously the sequel to last year's version. Now for that one, I got, I got pulled in immediately. And for that one, I, I already had the story, the, the original story, had a different title um, than the one that's in the book now. The book calls, I now call it Cornivorous. Um, for years, it's, I, wrote, I wrote that story and was actually illustrated. Some layouts were done by me, and then another artist had actually done a, some, some kind of work on it. But he and I went into a major disagreement. We were, I was trying to get it to, the, to do it to Alterna. Uh, he was falling behind. He was not doing any of the work. I said, look, out of here. So I left it in the, in the back burner. So when this came up, I said, look, I'm going to reimagine it because the sizing was wrong, different. So I had to redo the whole pages and put them in a new format. And then, but the original story is still here. What I did was add a few little details to change the reason behind it. Um, when I wrote it, the world was not under a pandemic. And I was trying to criticize something else, um, using the spiders as the analogy or the the uh, yeah for the what i really wanted to say now you were saying how much you dislike the spider stuff yes now. yes because i'm not a big fan of spiders we just covered the mandalorian on our new live feed and spiders yeah, uh, 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 these guys didn't warn me it's big nope well, we're gonna definitely warn you and like even listen. when i was reading reading this i was like oh Sebastian's going to have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, first of all, I forgot that that was a thing for you. And then like realizing it afterwards and going, yeah, I'm just going to let it rock. I'll just let you enjoy it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice, guys. But the original, I always tell people that her, my horrendous story, Carnivorous, is based on a real incident. And people are saying, what? But in reality is that uh, the original idea for the story came from that when I would like during the summertime when I leave my house a bloody spider is always hanging in the middle of the doorway every day if it's not there it's on a web between the bushes and my car and I walk in and there I feel it 
immediately the web right through the well, what the hell is this every day going out so i so i thought yeah we're gonna write a story about that one day and <laughs> i did and i did um the the reveal that's later which we're not going to go into um because no i want spoilers to, no spoilers here guys you got to get the book uh, that took that took me a while to design um if you notice the stupendous to horrendous the horrendous my horrendous pieces are much cleaner is because i learned uh from what my experience was stupendous i i used your my original lines that i drew on the page and i decided you know what i'm gonna next time I'm using photoshop we're gonna make real panels here and i did all the panels like that so everything in stupendous is nice and straight very clean there's no there's everything's nice and bright everything's like that oh yeah and everybody who buys my book here gets the my a free sketch um not a free sketch this is a print of the sketch i did for the cover so and now to thank our sponsors the nerds of the round is brought to you by nbeyond make sure to use the code get nerdy with it to get 10 percent off merchandise and services such as web hosting printing and more at nbeyond.com so what what do you prefer dad do you prefer digital inking versus traditional what no, 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 traditional, traditional. i like the ink on my hands uh it's it the inking for me is very like uh, it's almost like part of my blood and my being going in there because it's like i'm taking something that's in one dimension trying to bring it out to three dimensions on a page which is not easy and to do that digitally i feel like i'm kind of like there is something about the, for me, the rush of the threat of messing it up. That part is always keeps me on my toes. If I, in digital, I have the undo, so I don't feel like, oh, okay, well, but here it's like, are you sure you want to put that line there? <laughs> if you put it there, it doesn't work. It ain't going to look good. It may, you, so it's always really, really, it's really stressful at times. But I like it because it keeps me on my toes. It makes me understand. I do a lot of tests. Sometimes I'll, I'll print out something extra and try it there and check with another pen. Okay, that doesn't look right. Oh, okay, this looks better. And then I go and do the final over here. Or sometimes I'll do it on digital and say, what was it if I put a lot of black here? Oh, no. Okay, we're not doing that. So, so I go back to the original and do the inking correctly there. Um, so, but for... A piece I'm going to be doing now for Not So Fair Tales, there's a chance it might be my actual very first fully digital work. It's going to be really? penciled and inked digitally. When you do your character creation, is the story what dictates the character or do you have the character first and then like have the story like follow afterwards? No, the story is for me is always first. The Once in a while, I will have a character up, you know, first. Like when I created my space saga for Dark Horse, I knew the character. I designed the character first, and then I said, where does he live? And that's where I went into creating the universe for him. Um, but most of the times I do now, the story brings in the character to me. They, the story, the whole evolution of what, the, what we're trying to say will help me produce the characters. Like... Kid Massive was never a character I decided to, oh, let me sit down and create this guy. And then, no, it was like, after I did it, I said, the voice is here, but who is it? What does the person look like who's saying these things? And that's when I created it. Um, Massive Man was, I knew the hero was big. Then I said, 
let me create, let me see how he looks. And once I created him, then I decided to change a few things in the store and say, okay, this big can't do what I was thinking around here. Let's change this. That's where the skylight comes in because I go like, is this this big? It makes a lot of sense. You'll crash through it. So, um, so most of the times the story is first and then everything else kind of falls into, I decide how did the idea of this character I'm thinking will look like? And that's where uh, it develops later. Okay. And then uh, I got a question for you in regards to just, just inking in general. I remember, so I remember I was at the, the show with, I think it was in New Jersey with Sebastian when we, when he first met you and just kind of just seeing you just doing your, your artwork and um, what's the thought process like? So like you're looking at a piece that's, that's already penciled and you're looking at a figure and you're trying to put the detail in. Is it more so like you have specific limbs that you work off? Do you have a map? Is the sun shining in your mind where the light source is coming from? Like, how does, how does that work? Cause that just seems like a whole different aspect of art. I haven't really, you know, heard too much about just from people that I know. And I'd love to hear your take on that. Well, thank you for that question. Okay. So what is the thought process? Okay. Basically I'm a tracer. <laughs> no, that's going back to I always I always bring that up uh, because some people just think well you're just following the lines sometimes I do if the artist has really put in a really tight really detailed piece and they kind of have an idea of what they're thinking like when you have a, a, a still basically a, a, a simple sketch with no story around it Usually they don't have the, they are, they're not thinking about light sources and stuff like that most of the time. So when I do those, then I can pretty much decide what I want to do with them. A case in point that when Sebastian sent me his drawing for the inking with Kike show, he kept it pretty, pretty loose. So I had pretty much whatever I wanted to do with it, you know, and I, I followed his idea and kept it, but I also gave it my look. Um, an example would be like when Sarah Madura sent me her, her, um, her character, a Morrigan from the Dark Starkers video game, um, I just started looking at her character and I said, okay, I feel it this way with brush. I feel it's going to have this kind of look. I've, I'm looking at the reference picture. I'm going like this flow and I started using brush, brush, brush and stuff. At the end, she was like, oh my God, that looks like the Yamato's work. And it was like, that's the actual designer of the Final Fantasy books, uh, games. And he was an influence of mine from years ago. I did not realize I was channeling him for that moment. Um, sometimes I will do that. Sometimes I will sit down and say, let me think like this character, like, like an Ernie Chan or maybe like uh, Rudy Nebris, uh, like maybe a Keith Williams and stuff. How did, would they approach this? Um, I usually look at the things that I know are going to give me trouble. Like, for example, if I see a character with a lot of flowing air, I go like, all right, that's last. I'm doing that last. Um, or somebody has a really a face with not a lot of details, that's last. Because I need to feel everything first, and then I go, now I gotta decide how I'm gonna complete it at the end. So what I end up doing is I'm trying to decide to try to keep the artist's vision as close to it as possible, but by giving my own, my own look at times. Um, Scott Hanna, for example, when he did a show recently, he would say that not a lot of people can say, We're, you're, we can't recognize your style despite the fact you've done so many books. And it's because he says, I don't really have a style. I just take whatever the artist gives me and just put my work on it and give a little touches here and there. But mostly I respect what the artist does. So I try to do that a lot. Uh, according to my daughter, I don't. 
She says that I make her artwork disappear when I do her. Uh, sometimes I do that. Sometimes I will get something not up to specs. You know, maybe it's not as good as it could have been. Or let's use the word looser. And therefore, I feel like I'll have to come in and fix some few things. Now, some people say, well, then you're taking away from the artist. You know, and that's where that thin line, because I once had a conversation with Rodney Ramos, a very reckoned renowned anchor and I say what happens when you run into that he says it is your job as the anchor to fix the pencils now nobody is going to complain if you make it look better if you make it look worse then they won't want to work with you again but no no penciler in his right mind will go look at an anchor says well you made it look really good but I don't like it change stuff they won't do that now other anchors have told like Joseph Robinstein will say like if you have to erase it, then you shouldn't touch it. I'm like, well, that kind of contradicts it because, but if something's like totally wrong, where what point do I should like? If I can tell somebody's muscles are wrong, the anatomy is like, wait a minute, that arm just looks like it is. If it's not a mutant, it sure as hell is not right. So mm -hmm. should I fix it or not? Um, and there is that gray line. Some some people are like, you have to fix it, but then again. Most of the time, what I get is blue line, so I really can't erase. Now, if I get an original piece, that game, then the game is like totally different. Because if I get an original, I will erase some stuff. And if it's wrong, I will say, look, I'm gonna fix this here. And, um, and that's and, good. And they said that, that um, I remember, um, I'm not gonna say the artist's name or anything like that, because you know, we don't wanna throw people on the bus like that, but I remember hearing stories of a big name artist that, that's something that happened with them. It's like a whole controversy where the inker had to clean up a lot of the work. And they were like, yeah, it looked like the inker was doing most of the work in terms of the stuff. So I can understand when it comes down to that. Um, and it, it happens, you know, sometimes deadlines, when you're in the professional level, they're doing the regular book. You know, you got to think back. Some of these books were coming, were coming out on a monthly basis. Sometimes even like, when DC started doing the Action Comics yeah. Weekly, think about that. Marvel Comics Presents was coming out every week. So, so there's speed to be involved. And sometimes yeah. these guys were not being fast enough. And it would fall on the inker to fill in those gaps. Um, obviously, the inkers are, some of those inkers were getting a little angry because they're like, I'm doing more of the work and I'm getting all the payment. <laughs> and yet the artist was getting all the cred. You know, so... Um, we're the bass players, man. We're the drummers of the game. We're, we're, we're the rhythm section, you know? When, you know? You take away the drum and the bass, you got a lot of accusing, a lot of twings. You go, that hey, sounds good. But the real soul of those of the music that is done in the art, it comes from us. Um, nowadays, colors are kind of take, trying to take us out of the way, and I got a piss of that. Um, I, and I can tell when, when I look at certain work, I'm going like, and I'm talking works that are out there on Kickstarter, on Marvel. They just bypass the inker. They were like, no, we're going straight to coloring from pencils. And you know, in there, and those pieces don't have weight. They just look like very, very soft because it doesn't have that weight of the line. It doesn't have that, ex that extra movement that an inker and those shades can bring in. Yes, the penciler put the darkness in certain areas, but it's just not the same when it has the black in there and you can feel it. Um, a lot of colors didn't try to put in dollar different colors in there to give it that weight. Sometimes it can work if you're really, really good colorist. But I think there's a like the speed again, or there's just a, uh, a lack of respect for the art 
of inking as well. It depends on the editor. It depends on who's running the show. I want to touch up on 2021 with what you're doing in 2021 with Not So Fair Tales oh, that, and, that, and, and how that project. You know, that project, I'm so blessed. Like I said, I've been telling people that would I love to work on a monthly title? Well, I'm going to be working on one with Soul Eraser eventually. But if Marvel, DC, or somebody was going to come to work on a monthly, yeah, it wouldn't be bad. But if I could spend the rest of my career just doing anthologies, I think I'd be happy. Because anthologies gives you this one theme, and you can create that one epic, that one little story, which is, it goes back to what I created was in grade school. When you would buy a comic and you would read it from front to back, that's it. The story's done. We get it, move on, and enjoy it. That's what I like about anthologies. You get the story, you get it right there, and it's done. Now, Not So Fair Tales is the brainchild of John Englefield. He's an artist. You can find him on both of my books. He's also part of the stories here. Um, and he came, he approached me because he liked what I did on both of these books. And he says, you know, I got this anthology coming out next year in Kickstarter. Why don't you pitch me a story? I said, okay, what are they about? These are fairy tales. Of, these are publicly owned characters. You're going to do your own spin on them. So I looked at them and I chose three. And I thought, okay, I'll pitch. Actually, I pitched four. And he told me immediately, yes, 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 no. So I'm like, perfect. Because the no was not actually was not good. He said that all you did was put a character. That has nothing to do with fairy tale, right? <laughs> yeah, but I wanted more copies. <laughs> <laughs> What a more like, okay, okay, fine now. But uh, so he said, keep that one for another one. Okay, good. So um, I have three stories in there. I'm writing all three. I'm inking two of them, at least. The third one, I'm probably going to ink it as well. Um, I'm illustrating probably two of them. <laughs> okay, the first team has got John Muller is, uh, is working with me. Uh, he's the, like I said, the creator of Horrendous and Stupendous. He is going to be illustrating and coloring, no, illustrating and lettering uh, a story which we're basing off John, uh, Jack the Giant Killer. That's basically the Jack the Beanstalk kind of stuff like that, uh, but a more mythical, medieval kind of story. Uh, I have him, he's doing that, I'm writing and inking, and Sigmund Torre will be coloring it. Oh. All right, so boom, we got him there. So then for my second story, I'm doing it with Matt Budich, uh, independent artist. He's done Daddy's Beard on Kickstarter. He'll be illustrating and coloring and lettering, and I'll be inking and writing it. Uh, and there'll be a section of the story, which when we discussed it, I said, originally I wanted you to do the whole thing, but I'm going to draw the last three pages. He's like, perfect. So I'm drawing on that one and inking on that one. Then the third story is, oh, okay, that story actually is, has the Big Bad Wolf in it. Then the third story is of a character that nobody knows. It's called Iron John. And that's my big story. That is the one that was been in my brain for the longest time. Um, and it, it's really influenced by a lot of the stuff we're seeing now um, in, for the past few months, and not with COVID, but with the other things. Social justice and being an immigrant, being Hispanic, you know, all these things, all these feelings are coming back up. I lived in the South for many years. So I'm like, this story just came to me. So I thought Iron Giant's the perfect, nobody knows this character, perfect vehicle to get the story out there. And because I found it to be so important, I asked Paris Collins to do it with me. And he agreed. And I'm going to have Carlos Mangual, fellow Puerto Rican, he's going to letter it for me. So I'll be inking that one and writing it. Uh, 
for the time being, that's the way it is. The, the Jack the Beanstalk one, the Jack the Giant Killer, it is going to be such a hoot. John already did the first 10 page of the 10 pages. We got seven down. It is a blast. Think, think basically I'm doing a, uh, a John Woo, John Wick movie there. It is going to be that crazy. And I'm going to have Sigma's colors. Yeah, I wanted to ask you because um, it says here, and be, before we get to go in the closing, where we want you to plug yourself away and where we can find your books, but you're going to be helping edit your daughter's story that she's going to be working on in the book. How that does it feel it. to be working with your daughter she in her book? She hates <laughs> it because I'm, I run the show. No, actually, I wasn't going to, I was going to be hands off, but I said, look, if you put me on the book, at least I'll get some more copies. She goes, oh, okay, fine, Dad. So, no, but it's, and, and the, the reality is that her story, what I'm going to be doing is not really doing, she already, she's doing Cinderella. Now, in her case, well, she's doing it in a totally different format. She's going more on through the LBQQT um, group. But my job there is basically going to tell her to make sure she gets all the beats right. I want her to be, because she's going like, my God, Dad, it's only 10 pages. I can't do the story in 10 pages of, well, you're going to have to find a way to condense or choose. You don't have to do the full story. Choose a point in the book that you could want to highlight. It doesn't, and I told you, it doesn't have to be exactly in the medieval times. It could be modern time. It could be some, something that you can play on that gives that feeling. But Because you don't have issues beyond issues to write. You got to do it in 10 pages, which is a great challenge. Because in 10 pages, I got to tell the story. And... Like you saw in Stupendous, I did it in one in six, the other one in 10. So um, it's a challenge to get everything done in that part. And, that, and this is even a tinier book. This is nine by nine. So I see it even smaller. And so a lot of the pages are really uh, active movement and stuff. So I told her, you know, don't worry about it. I'll help you with that. Um, but she has her own stuff. I mean, you follow her. You can see her on her own Instagram. She's got a lot of stuff. The other day she did this um, sketch that she colored and everything. She was coming to me, Dad. I said, "What? I have over 200 likes." And we're like, "Really? Said, That's freaking awesome!" So <laughs> I can't believe the people are liking it so much. And I'm like, "Baby, you've just gotten better, you know." And that's great, you know. So yes, it's just one of those. So it's a family thing. So it's almost a family thing there that to be able to do that. So it's a great deal. And that's just one because I'm already pitching for another one. So <laughs> we're gonna see. I, yeah, um, I, I mean. Right now, I have three pitches out there. I'm waiting to find out. And I'm going to like, and my daughter says, when are you going to find the time? I said, well, I won't sleep much, I guess. <laughs> but that's the way it goes. Yep. So anyway, just so I can plug a few things, let me do this. Go right ahead. Let's go with those plugs. Art show, Inking with Kike, Mondays at 8, Eastern Standard Time on Instagram. It's a nice show. It's only... It, I'm trying to ex expand it next year, maybe to StreamYard. We'll, we'll, we'll talk. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely talk expansion. I got you. But guys, this has been another episode of Nerds Around. Again, check out Kike's stuff. Check out the art. Check out the inking. Pick up the check books. Up, pick them up. up. Give him the likes. Also, to make sure you pick up the books from Historian V, anywhere where you can buy Stupendous, Horrendous. There's great stories, um, great anthology. This has been your boy, Sebastian. It's your boy, Law. And your boy, Tone, from across the hall. You can find us on Twitter at the Nerds O T R, on Facebook, and on Instagram at the Nerds of the Round. We also have a YouTube channel, The Nerds of the Round. Check us out there. As we always like to say, we love to hear from our listeners, our viewers. Give a like, a comment, a retweet, a share. Let's connect. Let's chat. Let's get nerdy with it.